I'm journalist Carolyn Osorio, and I invite you to join me and my co-host, Brandon Morgan, on our podcast, Criminal Mischief. From law enforcement officers seeking justice to victims' families seeking answers, every week there's a new case and a new victim whose story deserves to be told. New episodes of Criminal Mischief drop every Tuesday. Hello everybody, welcome to another episode of Decoding the Unknown, this one written by Arnaldo, thank you. It's all about the Jonestown Massacre. And I saw this on my list and I was like, wait, didn't we already do this? And it's like we did, The Casual Criminalist. This is the one where we dive into the conspiracy theories around the Jonestown Massacre rather than the Jonestown Massacre itself, which I'm hoping will be like somewhat less brutal than the Jonestown one because that is some horrible shit that went down that I try not to think about because it is just misery. So yeah, we're returning to that today. Brilliant. Thank you. Big brain Simon choosing this one. Okay. Oh, if you're, if you're new here, the format of the show, Arnaldo's written this for me. I've never read it before. We're going to read it together, dear audience. We're going to have a brilliant time. All right, let's get into it. This isn't going to be an easy one, so let's just dive straight in. Oh, no. <laughs> it's like, it's going to be easier because it's about conspiracies, right? It's about the CIA doing stuff that they shouldn't be doing. It's going to be easy. Oh, it's not. The Jonestown Massacre took place on November the 18th, 1978, the last act in a tragedy which involved the People's Temple cult headed by its charismatic and controversial leader Jim Jones. Until the September 11th, 2001 terror attacks, it was the largest loss of life amongst American civilians in a single event. It was a catastrophic happening, one which the general public could not and still do not comprehend. Early, confusing reports about the massacre led the public to believe that more than 900 people had willingly committed suicide at the orders of their religious leader. As is often the case when traumatic, incomprehensible events are followed by patchy reports, conspiracy theories soon began to flow. The most sinister and often repeated theories claim that the killing of hundreds of innocents was orchestrated by American intelligence services, the military, or both. But why? And how? Very important questions when you do, you're talking about conspiracy theories, isn't it? It's like faking the moon landings, but why? And how? And I mean, to be fair, you could be like, well, because the Soviets, it's the space race, all of that stuff. I mean, the why is, is, is often quite easy. The how is like, yo, the Soviets would know. <laughs> they're gonna know. They're gonna know. You didn't put anyone on the moon, they're in a race. They'll be able to see. They'll figure it out. Before we get into alternative explanations, let's review the official version of events. Or if you want to do that in like two and a half hours, or however long that casual criminalist episode was, feel free to do that if you'd like to fill your afternoon with misery, or your morning, or whatever time of day it is for you. Whatever it is, you'll be filling it with misery. The Massacre. I'm sure most of our viewers and listeners are familiar with Jim Jones, his people temple, his people's temple cult, and the events at Jonestown. But allow me to quickly cover the basic facts first, as some details will emerge whilst reviewing the conspiracy theories. James Warren Jones was born on May the 13th, 1931, in Crete, Indiana. He displayed an interest in religion and a magnetic personality in his formative years, which led him to pursue a career as a preacher. Despite an early fascination with Adolf Hitler, uh, okay, in the early 1950s, oh no, that's like well after you know Adolf Hitler's a bad guy. What? No! In the early 90s, although I do understand like being interested in Hitler, because this dude basically came from like, he was just some random Austrian like semi-peasant. No, he was quite well off, wasn't he? His family was quite well off. I recently learned that in a, in a video. But he became the like dictator of another country. It's quite scary, isn't it? Uh, like elected dictator. Pretty wild stuff. Like I understand why people are interested in Adolf Hitler. I guess interested 
is a neutral word. Like, if that word was admired, you'd be like, hold on a second. <laughs> it's like, I'm interested in Adolf Hitler. Historically, do I admire Adolf Hitler? Absolutely fucking not. <laughs> in the early 1950s, Jim Jones became a passionate advocate for racial integration and civil rights. Ah, yes, the classic Hitler things. <laughs> you what? And later espoused left-leaning political views, being described as a socialist, or a communist. Okay, well I guess it was the Nazi party, National Socialist Party. <laughs> Because that makes sense. After breaking away from Methodists, Jones created his own community unity church later, Wings of Deliverance, before settling on the name People's Temple in 1955. The People's Temple was recognized for their activities in the community and especially for their work in combating racial segregation. Thanks to Jones's charismatic leadership, the congregation rapidly expanded through the 60s and 70s, but that's when it started attracting negative attention. Early defectors revealed stories of authoritarian control over temple members, financial abuse and tax evasion well the, the, isn't there that weird like i don't know if you call it a loophole or whatever but it's like in america no 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 you're a religious organization no tax for you and yes what's that guy's name the demon guy that i can never remember his name kenneth copeland that's it i always get there but i can never remember it immediately the guy talks about like demons and that's why he has to pl fly private on his tax-free jet like what the fuck i think i should be like I mean, I don't think it works where I live. But I'll just be like, every episode I'd begin with, let us pray. Hello, everyone. Welcome to another episode. Because that would be excellent. <laughs> The People's Temple may have been described as a church or a new religious movement, but it appeared more and more to take the shape of a sinister cult, headed by a deranged leader who practiced a form of authoritarian communism against his followers. In 1973, Jones decided to relocate his headquarters away from the States, and the choice fell upon Guyana in the northeastern sector of the South, Afri uh, South American continent. Ah, yes. It's like, where should we go? Uh, Guyana. <laughs> it's like, until I heard of Jim Jones, I'd never heard of Guyana. I don't know what Guyana is in. I feel like maybe I once played a racing game when I was a kid that there was a racetrack in. Wait, was that French Guiana? Is that a different place? Or New Guiana? And I always remember, like, that the track was really difficult. This is how the People's Temple Agricultural Project, informally known as Jonestown, was founded. Jones and some 930 followers relocated to Jonestown during the summer of 1977, escaping increased media pressure and scrutiny back in the US. Sure, they could escape, but they could not hide. In 1978, Congressman Leo Ryan organized a fact-finding mission to Jonestown following abuse allegations from relatives of cult members. On November the 17th, Ryan, his aides, and members of the press reached Jonestown, where everything appeared fine and dandy. But it was just a well-rehearsed show. An inhabitant of the community slipped a note to Ryan's entourage who wanted to leave with the congressman. The following day, after one of Jones's followers attempted to stab the congressman, uh-oh, <laughs> that wasn't in the rehearsal, Ryan left the compound with 14 defectors heading for the Port Kaituma airstrip. The party was about to board two small planes when a fire squad dispatched by Jones aboard a tractor arrived at the airstrip. Fire squad? Is that like a firing squad? Is that- Oh, I, I vaguely remember this from the video uh, that I made for Casual Criminalist. It's like, I mean, it was really long, and this is a minor detail, like what the, the murderers were called, but I think that's what he called them in, like, in-house. The assassins opened fire with their submachine guns, killing Leo Ryan, three journalists, and one of the defectors. When news reached Jim Jones, he initiated an already rehearsed self-destruct procedure. His acolytes prepared a concoction of flavor aid, not Kool-Aid as often reported, and several drugs including cyanide. I feel like if I was the Kool-Aid company, or whatever the fuck owns Kool-Aid, Pepsi or Coke or someone, I imagine probably right like you know when you look on the can of a drink it's like oh yes yeah, sprite or whatever and it's like by the coca-cola company and like oh yes very very dominant isn't like kfc owned by pepsi 
It's pretty wild. Those who, but if I was that company, I'd be like suing the shit out of people for this because it's not a good look. Then one by one, and starting with the children, everybody was forced to drink it at gunpoint. Contrary to popular myth, very few willingly drank the Kool-Aid. Those who did not drink it were forcibly injected with cyanide. Oh my god. In total, 909 people died in the massacre, including Jim Jones by a self-inflicted gunshot wound to the head. One survivor of the massacre notified US authorities via the embassy and the local CIA chief of station, setting in motion a military operation to recover the bodies of the victims, a detail which will become relevant at a later stage. But now let's walk away from the safe pier of commonly accepted fact. Let's take a deep breath and plunge straight into the roaring maelstrom of conspiracies that erupted from that single fateful point in time and space. Jim Jones, victim or tyrant? <laughs> I think we all know the answer to that question. It's tyrant. Was he victimized? Yes, a little bit, maybe. Was he a tyrant? Oh, much more so. Much, much, much more so. We have to start from somewhere, so we might as well kick off with the militaristic theory put forward by Dr. Peter Better, an attorney and investor best known for his 1973 bestseller, The Conspiracy Against the Dollar. That does sound... Is he... You know, he's like Dr. Peter Better. I recently learned in an episode and then i was like i couldn't believe it and people were in the comments confirming it in the us you could just call yourself a doctor i could just yeah i'll just call myself dr sai and that's cool you could just do that which seems pretty silly because isn't like it should be a qualifier shouldn't it <laughs> america come on get it together sort this in the church tax thing out come on let's go kenneth copeland needs to pay for that jet in the mid to late 1970s, Better became known for recording audio newsletters on cassette tapes in which he spun conspiratorial yarns on a broad variety of topics. Whoa, is Peter the original podcaster? Holy shit. These cassettes may be considered a lo-fi precedent to current podcasts, and I like to think that we've now just established a debate across time in which the voices of Better and Whistler battle across technologies and decades for the minds of listeners. You're going to be an old-ass man now, Peter. <laughs> Get ready to be whipped. I once had... I, I, it was... It was I, I said, like, I once had... I had an argument. Not an argument, but like a spirited debate with an older person the other day. And it was like, I don't know, I'm like reasonably smart, not like mega smart or anything but it's like oh yeah old people get slow and it was just very easy to run circles around them and i was like i felt very smart and then i was like oh no they're just old <laughs> Of course, you can outsmart old people. Their brains are not as good anymore. In one of his audio newsletters, Dr. Better claimed that People's Temple had been infiltrated by U.S. intelligence in the early 1970s. These agents had converted Jim Jones into a semi-conscious agent of death and intrigue. All right, then. <laughs> this is a debate that I wouldn't go to because I'd just be like, Dr. Beta sounds like a lunatic. And there's no... It's very hard to talk to conspiracy theorists. Like, I've got a conspiracy theorist in my family. Like, mildly so. But if you brought up 9-11, they'd be like, oh, yeah, it's inside job. And you'd be like, yeah, but it wasn't. And they'd be like, yeah, it was. And that's it. That's where it ends. Because you're like, okay, I guess the evidence doesn't matter. And, and that person would be like, yeah, I guess the evidence doesn't matter, does it? And that's it. That's as far as you get. I was having to talk with someone about saunas. They were convinced that saunas were the magical elixir of life. And I'm like... Um, well, maybe. There's very little emerging science on that, and not really that emerging. There's lots of other stuff which no one takes seriously that has better science than saunas being healthy. I mean, of course, other than, like, you're sitting in a hot room, so your heart's going to be slightly elevated as if you go for, like, I don't know, a brisk walk or something. And it's like, yeah, go for a brisk walk is good for you. Raising your heart rate is good for you. So, yeah, that. why are we talking about this? I'm sorry. 
I don't even know how we got here. I'm sure there are people in the comments being like, well, actually, Simon, people in, like, the Nordic countries sauna all the time, and they live long, healthy lives. It's like, okay, fantastic. But correlation is not causation. Show me some studies! In 1978, the US State Department tricked Leo Ryan into visiting Jonestown knowing that his investigation would trigger, would act as a trigger for the massacre that ensued. But why did the US government need this massacre to happen? According to Beta, it was a clever ploy to justify the influx of military personnel into Guyana and the transport of hundreds of dead bodies back to America. Um, I don't really feel like the American military has often needed an excuse for, like, military adventures in South America. There's a long precedent of military adventures in South America where it's just like, what was going on? Oh, we're just, you know, just doing some coups and shit. We're back in dictators. Yeah, I mean, fuck it. Why not? Let's do it. It's, you don't need an excuse. And why did the government need to justify this import-export operation? Very simply, to cover up a joint U.S.-Israel special forces operation to destroy a Soviet missile base in Guyana. Ah, uh, well, it wouldn't be a proper conspiracy theory unless the Jews were involved. Better those then goes on to explain the fate of Jim Jones. The body found in Jonestown was actually that of a body double. The real cult leader was transported to Israel, where he was promised treatment for a cancer that had spread to his brain, lungs, stomach, and colon. Look, bro, if you've got cancer in your brain, lungs, stomach, and colon, I mean, that doesn't sound very good, does it? I don't think there's much coming back from that. Maybe there is, I don't know much, but like, in the brain, bro? Sometime after his arrival, Jones was taken by three men onto a small plane heading for Turkey. The preacher was expecting to receive further treatment, but while flying over the Syrian border, his three travel companions grabbed him and flung him out of the craft. I, I'm, I'm just thinking about how dumb this sounds. This version of events raises so many questions that just trying to put them onto paper stalled my brain for a good half hour. But here goes one. If the elimination of Jones was part of a nefarious plan, why place a body double in Guyana before, having, before giving him a crash course in skydiving? over Syria. I'll refrain from providing any answers here, and I shall leave the floor to you, Simon, and to our audience. I'll, I'll tell you what, you know, it doesn't make sense. That's the answer. It does not make sense. Allow me to add that, according to another of Dr. Better's tapes, the likes of David Rockefeller, Henry Kissinger, and Jimmy Carter had been replaced by something called organic robotoids. Okay. <laughs> well, spoiler alert, Jimmy Carter and Henry Kissinger, while well, Jimmy Carter's still alive, Henry Kissinger just died. So I guess his robot, like, it, it just got too old? It didn't go for its MOT? What? So in Dr. Better's world, real people are sometimes replaced by doppelgangers, sometimes by organic robotoids. Go figure. What I find interesting, however, is that Better's conspiracy paints Jones as a total dupe, a patsy, if you like, at the mercy of US intelligence and military. As we shall see later, it seems like the majority of the conspiratorial community cannot really make up their minds whether the People's Temple leader was a CIA puppet or a complicit asset. An exception is the theory put forward by author Nathan Landau in his book Heavenly Deceptor. Landau depicts Jim Jones as the one completely in control and completely opposed to American authorities. Jonestown is described as an anti-American concentration camp, established to first take over Guyana and then to stage an assault against the US. Um, okay, one, they got 900 people. How are they going to take over Guyana? And then two, once they've taken over the Guyana, how the fuck are they going to take over the United States? You got any idea? Like, it, it would be like any other country goes to war against America. They're fucked. Guyana? There's probably like six people there. I'm sorry if you're listening from Guyana. I just don't know anything about your country. Maybe it's incredibly military powerful. Uh, and is, is a rival to the United States, but I somehow doubt it. In preparation for the big attack, Jones used drugs to control poor black pseudo-slaves who were totally exploited by their new masters on the Jonestown plantation. 
Okie dokie. The cult leader's endgame was to stage a final solution in which his African-American and homosexual followers were to be massacred, while the white leadership groups, including Jones, would escape with millions of dollars. This game is rather confusing, on not so close inspection. Was Jones gathering funds and personnel to take over Guyana, or simply to get rich? Yes, this seems rather contradictory. Whatever the intention of the People's Temple's elites, they were thwarted by Leo Ryan's investigation, which, as we know, triggered the ensuing vortex of death. A plot against Ryan. As mentioned, Landau's theory is an outlier, as the majority of conspiracists put, place the blame of the massacre on U.S. security and intelligence communities, mainly the CIA. A popular school of thought believes that the massacre in Jonestown was perpetrated to obscure and obfuscate the CIA's main plan, the assassination of Congressman Leo Ryan. Wait, this is a very, very, very complicated way to assassinate someone. If you want to assassinate someone, just shoot them with a sniper rifle from a distance. And I get that he's protected, like he's a congressman. Do congressmen get, like, secret service and shit? But, I mean, there's gonna be some level of security. But it's not like you're trying to assassinate the president. And presidents have been assassinated! In this school of thought, we find the Church of Scientology, which in a 1997 article described People's Temple as a mainstream, progressive organization. Alright, Scientology. <laughs> yeah. Way to make yourself look mainstream is to tell, like, oh yeah, they're, they're also mainstream. So are we. Mainstream. For sure. In the same article published in their own magazine, Freedom, Scientology claims that Jonestown had been infiltrated by U.S. government agents. Their actual target, however, was not Jones, but rather Leo Ryan. The congressman had been on the CIA's hit list since co-sponsoring the Hugh Ryan's Amendment of 1974, which required the president to report all CIA covert actions to congressional committees. This amendment clearly curtailed the CIA's freedom to carry out black ops to their heart's content without congressional approval, hence the animosity against Ryan. <laughs> It's like, we were having fun with our South American adventures and you spoiled it! The Freedom article quoted a statement from Charles Huff, a former Special Forces operator or Green Beret if you like. According to Huff, many of the victims at Jonestown had been injected with poison or shot, so they had not died by their own hand. Huff's statement appears to imply that an external force to Jonestown perpetrated the killings. The reliability of this soldier, however, was called into question by Jeff Braley, an army medic who participated in the operations to retrieve the victims of the massacre. Bailey pointed out some discrepancies in the dates provided. For example, Huff states that he was one of seven Green Berets to arrive at the scene on November the 18th. Braley, however, was one of the first three U.S. servicemen to arrive in Guyana, and they landed on the 20th. Uh-oh, dude, if you're gonna make a lie, construct it better. At least get the dates right. Come on. What is this, amateur hour? Moreover, Braley was contacted by Huff's ex-wife, who confirmed that A, he was not in the Special Forces, and that B, he had been sent to Guyana to help with the recovery of the bodies, but only on November the 23rd. It's like, yeah, I went down there as a green beret. It's like, bro, you were basically the undertaker. You just went in to collect the bodies, and he's like, no! Green Beret! Clown. Freedom Magazine, allegedly. Freedom Magazine also reported a short interview with U.S. Air Force Colonel L. Fletcher Prouty. According to him, Leo Ryan had moved in too close to certain skeletons that could never be safely disturbed. A relentless and uncompromising investigator, nothing could stop Ryan short of violence. But how could such a high-profile personality be eliminated without bringing down upon the perpetrators an investigation to end all investigations? Now, to clarify, Prouty believed that the CIA wanted to take out Ryan following his probes into the agency's mind control activities, collectively known as the Umbrella Project, MKUltra. I remember in one of my first ever videos on YouTube, I pronounced it McUltra. <laughs> I don't know why. This is MK, it's not MC. I pronounced it like some sort of McDonald's burger, because I'd never heard of it before. But it's like, yeah, it's not McUltra. <laughs> Although the McUltra does sound delicious.
Oh my god, Arnaldo, that is some deep lore. You know this. Arnaldo's next line is Ormacultura, as Simon likes to pronounce it. How? Have I brought this story up before? Probably. The article goes on to claim that a very real possibility is that by making the assassination part of an even larger catastrophe, the central drama itself would be obscured. To paraphrase, according to Prouty, the CIA orchestrated the massacre of almost a thousand individuals to cover up the assassination of one single bothersome congressman, which sounds a tad excessive, even by the nefarious standards of the deep state and its minions. I will point out that Colonel Prouty is the author of the book JFK, The CIA, Vietnam, and the Plot to Assassinate John F. Kennedy. The title, rather self-explanatory, but in brief, the book alleges that the CIA plotted to assassinate President Kennedy after it vowed to disintegrate the agency. Curiously, in this scenario, the CIA did not cover up the assassination of the president by strafing Dealey Plaza or nuking Dallas. Another theorist placing Leo Ryan center stage is Laurie Efrain Kahalas, a former member of the People's Temple. In her book, Snake Dance, unraveling the mysteries of Jonestown, Kahalas claims that Jim Jones had been under the watchful eye of U.S. security forces who saw him and his temple as a threat to the established order. As per Congressman Ryan, he was not shot by armed temple followers, but rather an elite squad of army sharpshooters acting on CIA orders. Again, the motive was Ryan's support of the 1974 amendment. The assassination was cleverly staged so as to put the blame on the People's Temple, prompting Jim Jones to initiate the mass suicide of his followers. This way, the CIA had craftily gotten rid of two thorns in their side. One of the pieces of evidence cited by Kahalas is the type of tractor used by the assassins to approach Ryan and his party at the Port Kaituma airstrip. After reviewing footage of the event, Kahalas identified the vehicle as a Massey Ferguson 178, a custom-designed military tractor that was not in use in Joestown. The claim was refuted by historian and military researcher Christopher Knight Griffin, a paper written for the University of Maryland. Hmm, when you're writing a paper for a university, that sounds a lot more legit than just writing a book about CIA kills. Come on, Nye Griffin states that the tractor was actually a Massey Ferguson 185, not a 178, and points out that this model was actually in use at Joestown, as proven by forensic photographs taken by the FBI. If I can add my own two cents here, both Kahalas and Freedom Magazines claim that the CIA killed Ryan because of his championing of the 1974 Amendment against covert operations. That piece of legislation is officially known as the Hughes-Ryan Amendment. The other senator involved, Harold Hughes, died in 1996, age 76, from complications of emphysema. It's like, no, no. They just took out the Ryan dude. Like, the other guy's fine. The other guy's fine, except it obviously got pushed through. I'm surprised they just didn't rename it. No, no offense, Hughes. But if the dude died, I feel like they should just call it Ryan's Act. <laughs> you know? And he's even the second name. It's not Ryan Hughes, it's Hughes Ryan. So my rhetorical question is, what made Ryan so much more dangerous and assassination-worthy than Harold Hughes? But let's take a look at another theory involving Leo Ryan. This may appear more credible as it was put forward by... Galen Joe Holzinger, a friend of Ryan's who worked as his top aide. In 1979, Holzinger released an interview to journalist Tom Whittle, writing for STAND, which stands for Scientologists Taking Action Against Discrimination, by the way. In the interview, Holzinger claimed that Ryan had been investigating the McUltra program at MKUltra in the months preceding his ill-fated trip to Guyana. Once again, we encountered the theory that Ryan was assassinated due to his interest in the CIA's mind control projects. Speaking of which, Holzinger later declared that the CIA operatives within the U.S. Embassy in Guyana had been using Jonestown as a wildcat behavior modification experiment. Right. <laughs> it's just like conspiracy theories. You, it was like, oh yeah, keep it simple. Just keep it simple. Because usually, life is simple. And then when you're like, oh yeah, we're also mind-controlling wildcats. It's like, oh, for fuck's sake, really? Did we have to go this deep? 
And is that, who's that? Oh, yeah, it's the lizard people. Oh, no. It's Nazis on the other side of the moon. No. Holzinger further put in doubt the official version of the massacre, disputing that the majority of his of the victims in the commune did not kill themselves, but were rather murdered with firearms and injections of cyanide. To corroborate this fact, he cited the autopsy findings of Dr. C. Leslie Mutu, Guyana's chief medical examiner, who estimated that more than 700 victims of the massacre had been murdered, debunking brainwashing. Alright, so we already played two visits to the McCultra drive-thrus. <laughs> Leave me alone, Arnaldo. <laughs> so I guess it's time to provide some context. MKUltra was the latest incarnation of the CIA's experimental programs on absurd, on behavioral modification techniques following early predecessors, Artichoke and Bluebird. This program had been a close-guarded secret and almost all of the related documentation destroyed. A stash of financial documents survived, however, prompting an inquiry carried out by the U.S. Senate in August 1977. The Senate interviewed the CIA Director Admiral Turner, who described MKUltra as such. MKUltra was an umbrella project under which a broad spectrum of sensitive activities was financed. Some of these activities dealt with research into behavioral modification, primarily by means of drugs and hypnosis, involving tests on human volunteers and, in some cases, unwitting subjects. So basically, that's a short way of saying, yeah, we drugged people who didn't know they were being drugged to see if we could control their minds. <laughs> Holy fuck, CIA. No wonder there are conspiracy theories about you, because some of the actual shit you got up to is totally fucking wild, dude. The initiative had been kicked off by CIA director Alan Dulles in 1953 and was shut down by his successor, John McCone. Another uh, McDonald-sounding dish right there. In 1964, for two very good reasons. First of all, McCone was worried about the ethical implications of experimenting without the informed consent of the subjects, as he fucking should be. And second, the program had yielded a grand total of zero operational results. You see, the main objective pursued by MKUltra investigators was mind control, which could be achieved by first wiping out an individual's personality and then replacing it with another set of beliefs and behaviors, or even with pre-programmed actions, which could have been triggered by pre established signals bro your brain is not a floppy disk did their floppy disks back in the day when was this taking place the 60s probably not right they probably had like those was it five and a half half inch floppy disks or whatnot this is a process popularly known as brainwashing cia contracted researchers such as chemist sydney gottlieb or psychiatrist david ewan cameron infamously used lsd or electronic devices to cancel their subjects personalities in that they succeed in that they succeeded really I mean, I guess so. If they give you enough LSD, you're going to be like, <laughs> But they could not complete the second phase of the brainwashing process, i.e. reconstructing their personalities. The CIA's, and especially Alan Dulles' interest in brainwashing, stemmed from the alleged successes achieved by the Soviets and their allies in similar fields. Several high-ranking politicians, even clergymen in Eastern European countries, appeared to oppose communism, but after a brief disappearance, they re-emerged as fanboys of Moscow. That doesn't necessarily mean they were brainwashed. It's... It's like, bro, if you don't start talking about how awesome communist is, communism is, we're going to murder your family. And your family's family. And you're like, okay, <laughs> go Stalin! Woo! <laughs> One notable example was Hungarian Cardinal Joseph Meinzenti, tried in 1949 for treason against the local communist government. While displaying a zombie-like demeanor, the Cardinal admitted to all kinds of nefarious actions, even planning a third world war. Sounds like the Cardinal's on a bit of drugs, doesn't it? He's just having an LS teacher. He's like, I was planning World War Three. He'll like sober up later and be like, what the fuck was I talking about? Holy shit, LSD is wild! Surely the Soviet secret services must have developed some arcane mind-controlling techniques.
technique. Well, decades later, poor Cardinal Manzetti revealed the revolutionary scientific technique adopted by communist secret police. Torture and beatings. Oh, look, that's an effective way to get people to say things they don't want to say, is it? Who would have thought? Lots of beatings, preferably with rubber truncheons so not to leave too many visible marks. Eventually, in the mid-1960s, the CIA got the memo and shifted its efforts away from discovering mind-bending, mind-boggling mind-control techniques. If you want person X to do your bidding, you don't need to restructure their neural networks with LSD or hip hypnosis, just intimidate them, torture them, or just beat the shit out of them. By the way, after the close of MKUltra, the CIA reinvested its research budget into enhanced interrogation techniques, which I personally find way more sinister. What the fuck? It's like, oh, what are we doing with the money from MKUltra? Oh, we're just going to use that for uh, basically legal torture. Yeah, we've developed this thing called waterboarding. It's fucking wild. It makes me all think they're drowning, even though they're not, so you can just do it over and over again forever. Uh, fucking hell, CIA. What the fuck? But the point of this long detour into CIA... Oh, yeah, we're making a video about Jonestown. I was enjoying that, though. I loved the CIA mystery shit. Is the following. By the late 1970s, MKUltra had already been shut down and disproven. Brainwashing wasn't really a thing. The Senate was already investigating the program, and the trained cat with an implanted listening device was pretty much out of the bag. The cat with the listening device? That was part of an MK Ultra sub-project, by the way. Yeah, Acoustic Kitty, Project Acoustic Kitty, where they tried using cats to spy on the Soviet embassy in Washington, I think. So, if the CIA didn't want lone Congressman Ryan to probe into MK Ultra, they might have had the same level of animosity against both senatorial groups in charge of the hearings, the Select Committee on Intelligence, and the Subcommittee on Health and Scientific Research of the Committee on Human Resources. The reason I know that Acoustic Kitty thing is because I've made like videos about it many times. Sometimes I'll have these amazing moments in life where I'll just be out with my mates or whatever, and someone will bring something up and I'll be like, yeah, 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 1963, when that happens and this, with that. And my mates will be impressed, and I'll just stay silent, but it was just it just happened to be one of those times where it's like, yeah, I literally made a video about that today. <laughs> and I just sound like super smart. <laughs> And yet, none of them were targeted with assassination, let alone an assassination followed by the massacre of an entire community. Going back to another of Holzinger's claims, he stated that Guyanese forensic Dr. Leslie Mutu had concluded that more than 700 people at Jonestown had been murdered. Dr. Mutu actually examined the bodies of 100 adults at Jonestown, not all of the victims. He found that 83 out of these 100 presented needle punctures on the backs of their shoulders, suggesting that they were injected with cyanide against their will. Moreover, 260 children were found dead at Jonestown, a tragic occurrence caused by their parents or temple leaders. Taking into account the children's deaths and the extrapolation of 83% of adults killed against their will, it's difficult to disagree with Dr. Mutu. However, these forensic findings do not and cannot reveal who killed the inhabitants of Jonestown. Initial hasty accounts of the event portrayed the event as a mass suicide. The first report of the tragedy unfolding at Jonestown came from Odell Rhodes, a member of the People's Temple, who had escaped from the carnage. In the early hours of November the 19th, he reached a police outpost in the town of Matthews Ridge, from which he contacted the U.S. Embassy in Georgetown, the capital of Guyana. The communication was picked up by James Adkins, the CIA chief of station. Rhodes alerted Adkins about the murders and suicides taking place in Jonestown. Adkins then notified Washington and the CIA headquarters issued a further alert on their National Operations and Intelligence Watch Officers Network, or NOIWON. This latter notice mentioned only mass suicide, omitting the murders, thus spreading the initial false impressions. And that's why any evidence of death by murder was interpreted as the basis for a conspiracy or a cover-up. The same evidence, however, can be interpreted more simply as a case of murder-suicide. Jim Jones and his leadership ordered a mass suicide and then proceeded to poison whoever disobeyed the order. Special Agent Jim Jones. 
Next on our roster of theories, we have another school of thought, according to which Jim Jones had been an FBI and later a CIA agent since the 1950s. The chief proponent of this approach is author, investigative reporter, and documentary film producer Jim Hohan. According to Hogan, Jones had painted himself for decades as a left-leaning religious leader in opposition to authorities depicted as capitalistic, authoritarian, and racist. Leah Ryan's investigation risked exposing Jones's links to governmental agencies and his involvement in anti-socialist and anti-democratic activities in Central and South America. Get to those in a jiffy. At the same time, the congressman threatened to embarrass the CIA by linking Jones to some of the agency's most volatile programs and operations. Therefore, it is possible that either the CIA instigated the massacre in order to cover up this dangerous liaison between government intelligence and a cult leader. Whatever the actual culprits and mechanics of the killings, Hogan's theories rely heavily on the alleged ties between the preacher and the agencies, so let's give you an overview. Let me guess, there's not really much evidence there to suggest there's a link. Just, just the feeling I'm getting. <laughs> in 1947, Jones was only 15, but had already started preaching to the African-American community in Richmond, Virginia. In this period, he became friends with a police officer, 11 years his senior, one Dan Mitrione. The friendship was confirmed by a neighbor of the Joneses, Myrtle Kennedy. The nature of this friendship is not clear, but Hogan ventures two possibilities. Either Mitrione was counseling Jones in the way policemen sometimes counsel children, or their relationship may have been professional. Mitrione may have recruited Jones as an informant within the black community. Hogan stresses the importance in the Jones-Mitrioni relationship. The latter would join the public safety program of the International Cooperation Administration, which Hogan describes as a front for the CIA. The public safety program was in charge of training police forces in countries friendly to the US, which Mitrioni would eagerly do, specializing in torture techniques, which became all the rage in South American dictatorships. Wait. That doesn't seem this is already like there's no evidence of this right this is just all just like wild ass speculation in the summer of 1951 jones went to study law at indianapolis while there he attended some left-wing political meetings sometimes taking along ronnie baldwin the 11 year old cousin of his wife marceline at one of these lectures ronnie baldwin remembered how quote someone came up to jones and whispered in his ear whereupon jones took his ward by the arm and exited hurriedly outside jones said good evening to a man whom Baldwin believes was an FBI agent. Based on this testimony, Hogan speculates that Jones may have been working with the FBI to spy on leftist political gatherings. The friendship with Mitrione and the testimony of an 11-year-old makes flimsy evidence to prove that the cult leader may have been in cahoots with government agents. Yes, this is... It's just... You just made shit up. This is not anywhere close to even circumstantial evidence. But Hogan suspects that Jones may have carried out the CIA's bidding on three separate occasions in three Central and South American locations, Cuba, Guyana, and Brazil. Let's start with Cuba. According to a story published by the New York Times in March 1979, Jim Jones visited Cuba after Fidel's Castro, Fidel Castro's rise to power in February 1960. Ostensibly, Jones visited the island as a tourist, but according to the Times, the preacher was looking to establish a communal organization in Cuba. Failing that, he was eager to recruit, Cuban, recruit Cubans of African descent to live in Indiana. This latter plan may have been sponsored by the CIA, who at the time was encouraging immigration away from Cuba to embarrass Castro's regime. But there is more. Apparently, Jones somehow obtained photos of a military plane which had crash-landed in Cuba. This plane was part of a CIA-sponsored bombing mission carried out by Cuban expats who opposed Fidel Castro. But there's even more. Jim Jones had stayed at the same hotel in Havana where a Soviet delegation had been exhibiting a Sputnik satellite. Was he trying to capture photos of the secretive craft? Based on this article, Hogan speculates that Jones's presence in Cuba may have been part of a complex CIA mission. 
now Jones's presence in the same hotel as Sputnik may have been a simple coincidence. That's exactly what I believe. And his plans to encourage emigration out of Cuba may have been part of a genuine effort to recruit disciples for his congregation. But I admit that Jones's photographic interest in rogue bombing raids does appear suspicious. Okay, yeah, I agree. There's a little something to that, but not a lot. The problem with Jones's Cuban adventures is that they have first been reported in the Times article, and that article comes from a single, unverified source. A Cuban immigrant called Carlos Foster, described by Hogan himself as a former Cuban cowboy, Baptist Pentecostal minister, and sometime nightclub singer. I mean, it's just like, okay, it's the word of one random-ass dude. That's not enough. Foster showed up at the paper's offices four months after the Jonestown massacre, volunteering his account of the cult leader's Cuban holidays. When asked about any documentation corroborating his story, Foster produced an affidavit signed by Jones supporting the emigration of his family from Cuba. This is all well and good, but it does not prove the presence of Jim Jones in Havana, let alone his activities. New York Times reporter Joseph Triester inquired with the State Department if they had any documentation of Jones's trip to Cuba, but records of such immigration matters were routinely destroyed after a few years. The preacher's presence in Guiana and Brazil is better documented. His arrival in Georgetown, the Guianese capital, was reported on October 27, 1961 by local press. What did Jones do in Guiana? Officially, he did what he did best, preaching and proselytizing. But Hogan and other authors such as John Judge, Michael Mears, and magazine Covert Action are not convinced. Magazine Covert Action sounds pretty exciting. <laughs> When the People's Temple leader landed in Guyana, he delivered several speeches against Guyanese clergy, accusing them of impoverishing the local population and driving them into the arms of communism. The authors, I quoted, believed these speeches to be out of character as they contradicted Jones's leftist convictions. In general, they believed that Jones's presence and activities in Guyana were part of a complex CIA plot designed to undermine and destabilize the socialist government of Prime Minister Chedi Jagan in favor of the US-backed candidate Forbes Burnham. Nothing better than a capitalist candidate called Forbes. <laughs> Jones may have gone as far as organizing groups of agitators to incite riots and strikes, thus crippling Japan's government. It is true that Jones's stay in Guyana coincided with a period of political violence, but was he really in cahoots with the CIA? Hogan and other authors refer to a single source for this notion, a book published by Michael Mayers titled Was Jonestown a CIA Medical Experiment? Well, was it, and is Mars's book reliable? We'll get into the uber-conspiratorial masterpiece at a later stage, but first let's cover the last leg of Jones's South American trip, Brazil. Jim Jones and his family landed at Sao Paulo Airport on April 11, 1962, and then moved to Belo Horizonte. Jones's official biographies state that he had moved to Brazil after having a vision of an impending nuclear holocaust and coming to the conclusion that the country would be relatively safe when the nukes dropped. Jones then found employment with Eureka, an industrial laundry company. But Hogan cast some doubt on that. The author reported the claims of three Eureka employees who maintained that Jones had never worked for their company, but was instead employed by the local CIA office. Hogan also states that Jones had frequent contact with the American consulate in Belo Horizonte, which at the time employed an old acquaintance of his, Dan Mitrione. Remember, the police officer who became a trainer of torture techniques. As noted in his own memoirs recovered in Jonestown, the preacher tried to get close to Mitrione. I thought, I'll case this man out. I wasn't really inclined to do him in, not me personally, but I certainly was inclined to inform on his activities to everybody on the left. 
but he wouldn't see me. Bro, are you writing down your crimes? It's like, yeah, no, I'd have him killed. <laughs> I wouldn't dirty my own hand with it. I'd pay someone to do that. Of course, bro, don't write down your crimes. Hogan further claims that Jones, via the US consulate, was in contact with an official called John Lodison, who, according to Soviet intelligence, was actually a CIA agent. In December 1962, the Joneses moved to Rio de Janeiro. Mitrione would relocate there too the following March. As per Jim Jones, his activities and whereabouts after the move to Rio remained largely a mystery. Officially, he worked as a salesman for an investment firm, Invesco SA, but was fired after three months for failing to sell a single contract. Hogan suspects that the job with Invesco was merely a cover for Jones to get involved with a shady circle of Brazilian ultra-conservative businessmen, such as one Gilberto Huber. This Huber was among the founding members of IPES, or Institute for Social Re Research Studies. This think tank benefited from CIA funding and paved the way for the right-wing military coup which took power in Brazil in 1964, ousting the left-leaning government of João Goulart. Hogan points to a final piece of evidence, or rather that lack thereof. After Jones and his congregation moved to Guyana in 1977, he and his aides maintained close contact with the Soviet embassy in Georgetown and made no secret about their plans to relocate wholesale to the Soviet Union. Moreover, the People's Temple maintained good relationships with groups such as the Black Panthers, targeted by the FBI's COINTEL Pro. This was an initiative aimed at discrediting civil rights groups as well as more extremist organizations such as the aforementioned Black Panthers, but also the Ku Klux Klan. And yet, the CIA and FBI appeared to leave Jones and the Temple alone with no surveillance of any kind to conduct against them. Was this lack of evidence actually evidence that Jones is on the payroll of these agencies? In his writings, Hogan concludes that the killing of Leo Ryan and the subsequent massacre may have been staged by the CIA as a means of eliminating an uncomfortable enemy, the congressman, and an uncomfortable ally, the preacher. I admit that Hogan uncovered some interesting coincidences in his account of Jones's Brazilian sojourn, pointing out a possible connection between him and intelligence circles. Yeah, but it's just that. It's like, yeah, it's interesting. It's interesting. But there's loads of coincidences in the world, and I just, I think this is just airing such on the side of coincidence. It's just there's nothing hard enough to be like, yeah, no, there's definitely something going on here. Like with the Kennedy one, the Kennedy assassination. I'm like, I remember doing that episode. It's always the one I go back to, and I'm like, yeah, something weird's going on. I don't think there's anything weird going on here. But one may counter argue that these are just coincidences. <laughs> In fact, as I just did on Aldo. And while Jones may have sought contact with the likes of Mitrione and Lodison, it wasn't necessarily to work with them. Jones himself wrote in his memoirs that he wanted to get to Mitrione to inform on his activities to everybody on the left. Finally, I'll reiterate one of my early arguments. If the CIA had it in only for Ryan and Jones, orchestrating the massacre of an entire cult seems a tad excessive. If we want to believe the CIA assassinated JFK, for example, they did so by mobilizing one or two gunmen and eliminating one single target. And yet when it came to taking out one congressman and one preacher, they involve entire fire teams and slaughter almost a thousand people. Speaking of excessive, let's delve into Michael Myers and his book. Was Jonestown a CIA medical experiment? The basis of this book, almost 700 pages long, is that the CIA employed Jim Jones to conduct a pharmaceutical trial to administer mind control substances and weaponized viruses against specific ethnic groups, namely African Americans and Native Americans. Look, CIA, look, you got a history of this shit. You had McUltra, where you were just drugging people without their knowledge. You don't need to go abroad. You don't need to, like, contract Jim Jones to do this shit. You just do it yourself. It's what you do. My opinion, allegedly. 
it's been proven right that MK Ultra thing that was real. Both research strands were an offshoot of MK Ultra and had been initiated by Dr. Lawrence Layton, former chief of the U.S. Army's Chemical and Biological Warfare Division. There was, in fact, a strong connection between Jones and Layton. Lawrence's son Larry and the latter's wife Deborah had joined the People's Temple. So, with the help of the Laytons, Jones orchestrated the sinister experiment. Under the guise of protecting minorities from persecution and an alleged upcoming Holocaust at the hands of white America, Jones was actually testing the weapons through which said genocide would be carried out. As I mentioned, the experiment had two strands. First, testing drugs specifically engineered to control the minds of minorities. Dude, making just like mind control drugs is hard enough because it's not really possible. And then be like, oh yeah, this one's only for blacks. It's like, the fuck? It's like, no, it's not gonna work. What's that one for? Oh, that's the strain for Jews. <laughs> What's that one? Well, that's the white people. Like, no, you just make one. Why are you over? It's just too complicated. Second, and more importantly, spread a new disease developed by the CIA with the purpose of targeting those same minorities. AIDS. Oh God, here we go. That's another just thrown in that as well, are we? Let's get that box as full of conspiracies as possible, shall we? That's right, Mayers is a proponent of another persistent conspiracy, according to which AIDS was created in a lab by the CIA or the military and or some Illuminati-like cabal to wipe out African Americans, homosexuals, and drug users. Mayers believed that the AIDS epidemic originated in Jonestown. From there, Jones dispatched some infected followers to Haiti in the fall of 1978. There, they spread the disease to a number of male sex workers who then infected American tourists, thus causing the first AIDS outbreak in New York City in January of 1979. As proof, Mayers cites the fact that half of the Jonestown residents, quote, was ill with severe diarrhea and high fevers to early symptoms of AIDS. But let's break that apart, shall we? First of all, severe diarrhea and high fever are common symptoms compatible with a number of gastrointestinal diseases common in a jungle setting, especially amongst badly run communities with a poor diet and poor sanitation, such as Jonestown. Second, in 2011, microbiologist Jack Pepin demonstrated that the first outbreak of AIDS occurred in a railway camp in the French Equator in French Equatorial Africa in the 1920s and early 1930s. He further argued that during the 1960s, several thousand Haitians were recruited to work in Zaire. It's possible that they may have contracted the disease, taking it back to their country, and from there, AIDS reached the US. Third, as admitted by Mars himself, the notion of a lab-engineered weaponized AIDS was a rumor spread by Soviet intelligence in 1983 as part of their propaganda and counter-information efforts. So, to answer the question in Mars' title, I would stick my head out and put forward a resounding, no, it wasn't. <laughs> Wrap up. Look, I'll admit that I haven't covered all of the conspiracy theories swirling around Jonestown, but I believe I have reviewed the most prominent ones. In particular, I sought to dispel the idea that the CIA may have been involved in any shape or form. While there are some interesting questions with no definitive answers, the links are tenuous and they lack evidence. And if the reasonings of this humble scribbler are not satisfactory, I left for last the conclusions reached in 1980 by the House Permanent Select Committee on Intelligence. According to them, there was, quote, no evidence at all to suggest the CIA knew anything about the Jonestown tragedy before it occurred, or that the agency had any connection with either Jim Jones or the People's Temple. If you have a tendency to distrust whatever American institutions have to say, I shall remind you that the House of Representatives and the Senate are the same guys who investigated MKUltra and who cracked down on secret covert operations conducted 
by the CIA. Yeah, look, it's not perfect. Governments are not perfect. But separation of powers, pretty nice. So, call me naive, but I would tend to trust them. Yeah, I trust them more than I believe these absurd theories. Sometimes I trust them less than I believe the theories, but this is not one of those times. Nonetheless, I can understand how many people directly and indirectly impacted by this tragedy, or any tragedy for that matter, may choose to believe in conspiracy theories. Any alternative explanation, however outlandish, could be easier to accept than the disturbing fact that a small group of cult leaders were able to coerce an entire town into self-immolation by murder-suicide. Unfathomable? Yeah, sure. Impossible? Unfortunately not. When we look at single events such as Jonestown, we tend to forget how much the 20th century was shaped by the decisions of narcissistic leaders who tricked and coerced entire populations into mass murder and mass suicide. To quote some contemporary examples, while Jim Jones was forcing his followers to swallow cyanide, Pol Pot and his Khmer Rouge in Cambodia were perpetrating the annihilation of their own people. Generals in Brazil or Argentina were dropping dissidents from planes or torturing them with electric prods in basements and garages. Jonestown can be interpreted as a microcosm, a smaller scale representation of the worst horrors of history. There is not so much we can gain by twisting the facts around the event, seeking to build a more comprehensible and reassuring narrative. All we can do is accept what happened, however traumatic, and hope that we've learned enough to prevent similar abominations from happening again. And that's where we end today's episode. Somehow, somehow, because I love laughing at the conspiracy theories and their absurdity, this was easier to do than the Jonestown casual criminalist, which was brutal. Thanks for being here. Seeking the truth never gets old. Introducing June's Journey, the free-to-play mobile game that will immerse you in a thrilling murder mystery. Join June Parker as she uncovers hidden objects and clues to solve her sister's death in a beautifully illustrated world set in the roaring 20s. With new chapters added every week, the excitement never ends. Download June's Journey now on your Android or iOS device or play on PC through Facebook games.